be in Isaiah chapter 6 today, and I'm excited about that because Isaiah chapter 6 is one of those chapters, man. Uh, Let's read uh, a few verses together. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord seated on a throne, high and exalted, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphs, each with six wings. With two wings they covered their faces, with two they covered their feet, and with two they were flying. And they were calling to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of His glory. At the sound of their voices, the doorposts and thresholds shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. Woe to me, I cried. I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Then one of the seraphs flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongs from the altar. With it he touched my mouth and said, See, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away, and your sin is atoned for. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? And I said, Here am I, send me. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the power of your word. Thank you for the presence of your Holy Spirit. And I pray that you would manifest that presence here among us, that you would give us ears to hear, that you would give us hearts to understand, that you would break off and lift the dullness of our spirits, Father, and that what we receive today would be life for us. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Isaiah is my favorite prophet. I mean, he just absolutely is. Uh, Just as John's writing in the New Testament is my favorite in the Old Testament, it's Isaiah. Uh, And the reason why is because John and Isaiah both are just so dramatic. They are both so powerful and impactful in the way that they present things. I mean, there are passages in Isaiah that if you're really zoned in and you read them, you just can't read them without almost tears coming to your eyes at how beautiful they are, how powerful they are. And the call of Isaiah, the commission of Isaiah in chapter 6 is dramatic in the extreme. Uh, There are a lot of things here, but I'm just going to touch on a few of them this morning. The first one is this. Starts off, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord. Uzziah had been a godly king. He he came to the throne when he was 16 years old, uh, barely old enough to drive. Uh, And he reigned for 52 years. It was the second longest reign of any of the kings of Judah. He was very successful as king, and he was extremely successful because he sought the Lord, and he was successful until he he became prideful of his success. He became so successful that he couldn't handle it. Uh, I don't know if any of you have ever encountered that yourself or encountered anybody that that happened to, but that's not an uncommon thing in a fallen world. He became so successful that he decided that not only could he be king, not only could he do what the kings do, but... He ought to just go do what the priests do. So he went into the temple of the Lord to offer incense. Now, don't know if you're aware, but there are two other instances in the Scripture where 
people just assumed that they should go offer incense before the Lord in the Old Testament. Two of them were sons of Aaron. They, in fact, were priests, but they were not authorized to go offer this incense. And so they were killed by the Lord. Fire came out and consumed them. The others were a group of guys, um, Dathan was their leader, who had come to Moses and said, you and Aaron aren't the only holy ones. We're, we ought to be able to do this ourselves. And, and, and Moses said, okay, let's, let's see if you're able to do this yourself. Why don't you bring your censers with incense and come and stand before the Lord and we'll bring ours and come and stand before the Lord and we'll see what the Lord does. And so the Lord, one of the few times that the Lord did the same thing the same way, but fire came out from the Lord and destroyed Dathan and his followers. Uzziah comes into the temple to burn incense. And I think the only thing that saved his life was there were, the scripture says, some courageous priests who confronted him and said, this is not for you to do. This is only for the descendants of Aaron and those that the Lord has anointed. You're not supposed to be doing this. And instead of burning the incense, he got angry and started yelling at them. Now, if he had burned that incense, that probably would have been the end of him. But since he just started yelling at them instead, he broke out in leprosy. And so for the rest of his life, he was confined as as a leper. But he was still a godly and he was a great king and, and Isaiah was the one who chronicled Uzziah's reign. So he was very close to Uzziah, this, this great king who reigned for over five decades. And when Uzziah died, that had to have been a big deal for Isaiah. But it was not until Uzziah was taken away that Isaiah could say, I saw the Lord. And so the question from this part is, what is your Uzziah? Because we all have him somewhere. He might be a person. He might be something else. And it's not just Uzziah. Another, I would consider it a companion verse to this particular verse, starts out the book of Joshua, where the Lord speaks to Joshua and says, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now, get up and lead these people across the Jordan. Long as Moses was alive, great man. But as long as he's alive... You're on this side of the Jordan. Now he's dead. It's time for you to cross over. There, there, come, there come times and there come places in our lives where it's time for us to move on. And the only thing keeping us from moving on is Uzziah. It's great to have a mentor. It's wonderful. If you don't have a mentor, you need a mentor. If you don't have somebody that you're following who's discipling you in, in the ways of the Lord, you need somebody that you're following. Yet, you need to also realize that the time is going to come when the Lord's going to see to it that you realize that they're not really the ones you're following. That they have to be taken out of the way for you to move on. It's great for you to have a job in the Lord. It's great for you to teach. It's great for you to do missions. And I'm not saying that you shouldn't do any of those things, but they can become Uzziahs. It can get to the place where, well, I teach. That's what I do. You know, and the Lord may go, well, that's what you used to do, but now it's dead. And I've got some life over here, but the thing that's dead's got to fall off before I can replace it with something that's bigger and something that's better. 
It's great to do missions. Any, whatever it is, you can get stuck in it. You can, you can go, this is my thing. I, I was, I was saying, what, two or three weeks ago about, uh, and I was glad not only to see more people in the choir, but to see more dancers. Uh, and I was talking to, well, I was talking to Rena. She said, it's okay. Uh, I'll use, use her name here going, Rena, it's good to see you and you're dancing things again because it's been quite a while. She said, well, it was what you said a couple of weeks ago or, where you were talking about the arts and things and you were talking about whatever it is that you do that you feel is pleasure when you do it. That, And I realized this is where I feel is pleasure. So I need to start doing this again. I went, yes, that's great. Somebody actually listened to the sermon. <laughs> What a wonderful thing. (laughs) But the truth of the matter is, even that thing that we feel is pleasure doing, we can get to the place where we're just doing it and we no longer feel is pleasure. We just remember that we used to. And once we get there, it's time for Uzziah to die. And that's to find out what, what the other thing is. It's great to know when you were saved. It's great to be able to point to that date and point to that time. It's great to know when you were baptized in the Holy Ghost. Boy, I remember the, the Busby's living room and the prayer meeting and the people all around the chair. And woohoo! That was a, oh, what a night. That was terrific. And yet the truth of the matter is we can get stuck there. And that can become our Uzziah. And it's time for us to move on. God is bigger than all of these other things. He absolutely is. He was high and he was exalted and the the train of his robe filled the temple. Why was Isaiah in the temple? I mean, I was wondering about that this week. Uh, Yeah, I mean, he he was a prophet, okay? And I suspect he went to the temple on occasion and I suspect for some reason he was the only one in there at this point in time. And he may have had some special access because... He was obviously a pretty high governmental official as the, the chronicler. Glad I got that one out. The chronicler of the king's reign. But it doesn't say actually that Uzziah was dead yet. It just said in the year that he did die. So he might have been in there praying for Uzziah. He might have been in there um, mourning Uzziah. But you know, once he saw the Lord... Everything else became insignificant. I got a feeling that once he saw what he saw, everything else just kind of wasn't nearly as important as he thought it was at the time. And you know, as we go through this life in a fallen world, there's so many things that come up that trouble us so deeply And sometimes there's this tendency to go, when I see God, I'm going to ask him. Ba-da-da-da, fill in the blank. But the truth of the matter is, when we see God, oh my goodness. (laughs) It just isn't going to matter. I think I have time to, to share this and maybe it'll be a little helpful. Some of you know how Margaret and I met. Uh, you know, we met doing theater. Actually, we met at a, a play. We, I, I saw her, first of all, at a play that I was doing. But, but later on, when we really met was at a play that we were both attending, but neither one of us were there with each other. And 
you know, she zeroed in on me and came after me. <laughs> well, that, that's kind of true. <laughs> what you don't know is that, and, <clears throat> and I, I think she knows this, but, but what, what you don't know was there was this other girl that I'd been kind of interested in, and in, in fact, I was supposed to go on a date with her that night and it hadn't worked out. And man, I was just so bummed and I was just kind of, and I've been saved for about a year now. And I was, all my old friends that I used, I couldn't, I didn't do the old things that I used to do. So all my old friends were kind of gone and my new friends were kind of, uh, you know, I, I mean, they were okay. They just wasn't. I was at an age where I was looking for that special friend. And, you know, and God was supposed to be coming through for me. And, and the date didn't work out with this girl. And what's, I'm at this show watching a play with my mother for crying out loud. You know, and I'm just going, what is going on here, God? And then Margaret comes floating across the floor. And all of my questions disappear. All of those complaints that I had just sort of went, whoosh, they were all gone in the glory of her presence. <laughs> and that's just a person. Wait till you see God. All the things that are problems right now, all, no matter how deep it is, no matter how troubling it is, I, I got a feeling that just seeing him is the answer. Said seraphs were, were flying around him. They're, they're called the burning ones, the bright ones. Uh, they're actually supposed to be so bright that no one, even the other angels, can look upon them. For, for some reason, I, Isaiah obviously was given the eyes to be able to do so. And as the seraphs were flying, they were crying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. Ezekiel saw visions of God, but Isaiah saw the Lord. Ezekiel didn't actually see the seraphs. He saw the cherubim. He saw the, 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 the angels with the four faces that are beneath the throne of God. Isaiah saw the, the big ones. He saw, he saw the glory of God, the ones that protect the glory of God's throne. And this is what they're crying. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Now, whether that's vertical or horizontal, I think it's probably horizontal, but I mean, when you're, I don't know. But it's declaring who He is and, and what He is, and holiness is the defining characteristic that they use to describe our God. He is unique in that sense. Just as, just as the testimony of who Jesus is, is unique. Jesus did not come as a, a revelation of God. He came as the revelation of God. For the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth have come through Jesus Christ. No man has seen God at any time, but God, the only Son who is with the Father, has made Him known. He, he comes as the only begotten Son of God. He has done something no one else ever did, rose from the dead. And the Lord, the Lord God is holy, and He's the only one who is holy. He's above all gods, and He's the one holy. Uh, occasionally, 
you'll hear even Christians kind of buying into the fact that, well, you know, they worship the same God we do. They just call him by a different name. No. No. And, and of course, uh, the, the Muslim faith is the one that predominantly says that. There are others that say it. But no. Because they're not holy. Allah doesn't claim to be holy. Because in order to be acceptable to him, all you got to do is do more good than bad. When, you, when you're in front of him, if the scale goes this way, you get in. Some of you have heard me share this before. That's not the way it is with a holy God. With a holy God, when you stand before him, if there's anything on this side of the scale, you can't come in. Anything at all. Because he's holy. And nothing that is, that is impure, nothing that is unholy can, can exist in his presence. Our, our notion of holiness, I grew up in a church tradition that called itself holiness, as well as we were Pentecostal and we were holiness, but we weren't Pentecostal holiness because that's another, that's a brand name and, it, and it's a, anyway... But we were both we were both of those. But our ideas of holiness the things that we do to be holy, the things that we think that we're doing to be holy, the times that we feel like we're holy, if we truly understood, if we had even the tiniest glimpse of what Isaiah saw, we would realize as as Isaiah realized that all of our righteous acts are like filthy rags. There's absolutely nothing we can do that can begin to, 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 to touch the holy. This ridiculous notion that if we, under, if we had even the, the slightest inkling of what holy really is, this ridiculous notion that, well, I believe all you got to do is just live the best life you can and God will accept you. would just go, would be totally smashed. I mean, think about it. Assuming that you owe money on your house. Every month, do you just kind of get around each month to sort of going, "Mm, you know, if I just do the best I can, the bank will be okay with that. You know, I know that my house payment's $1,000 a month, but you know, I only got, I got, well, I got 175. I'll send them that this month. You think the bank's going to go, welcome, live in your house forever and ever. Yes, this is, this is really good. No. <laughs> they have standards. And you know what? God has standards, and it's not that he's kind of going, you measure up to my standards. You cannot. You can't measure up to his standards. Because his standard is absolute perfection. And he can't change it. He can't go, you know what, I love these people so much, instead of being 100% holy, I'm just going to be 73% holy for this one. Because he wouldn't be God anymore. He wouldn't be the immutable, unchangeable, yesterday, today, and forever God. And so he's completely holy. He makes us holy through his son. And that leads me to another thing. You know, we, we, there's, a, there's a tension sort of between 
the idea of, oh, <laughs> you know, I, I like our, I like this room. I like our, our church building. I like spring house and, and I like the way this looks and I like the ambiance of it. I like the feel of it. I like everything about it. Yeah. Uh, my friend, Maury Davis up in, uh, up in Madison has a really nice room too. And let's see, they did a, a rodeo in there, right? And some of some of you used to attend there, and if you go on the right Sunday, you get like popcorn, right? And do they do they do soft drinks too, or what? Okay, popcorn, soft drinks, everything, you know. And and you know what? I, I love that Maury does that because get them in, guy. Come on. Now my elders won't let me do that here, but that's okay because that's not who we are. Yeah. And then there are other people who walk in here and sort of go, "This doesn't look like church." I want to go someplace that looks like a church. And I know there's this tension between holy space. You know, what, what, what is holy space? But what we need to realize is, and, 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 and I like beautiful, you know, st- I like stained glass and I like, uh, you know, nice, beautiful fixtures and everything. That, that's great. That's cool. It, it feels good. But it's got nothing to do with holy. The only thing that can make something holy or someplace holy is what he does and him showing up. And you can have the most beautiful cathedral. You can have the most beautiful chapel. You can have the most lovely bathed in pastel colors, quiet, fragrant atmosphere. And really, all you got is just a really cool garden, unless he shows up. The truth of the matter is, the most holy place on the face of this entire earth is a place where we used to use to torture criminals to death. And some of them were not even guilty. But it's a place where Jesus died for our sins. Because it's got nothing to do with what the place looks like. It's got nothing to do with what the ambiance is. It's got to do with him showing up and what he did there. And just as Pastor Wayne was sharing about why he was in Frankfurt, every day, every day we need to realize that the holy is all, the whole earth is filled with his glory. The whole earth, behind every tree, under every rock, in every checkout line, he's there somewhere. It just takes some eyes to see it and a desire, a desire to be a channel of his presence, to be a channel of his glory, to be a channel of his holy, to turn every place that we set our foot into holy space and holy ground. (laughs) And then once that happens, the first reaction tends to be this. Woe to me, I cry, for I am ruined. I'm a man of unclean lips. I live among a people of unclean lips. My eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Those who are truly close to the Lord are never possessed of the, the hellish deception that Now that I'm saved, I don't sin anymore. You know, and sometimes you run into people who, who, and it can be kind of intimidating. 
who feel like, I'm clean, I'm good now. No, that's not quite how it is. Because you see, just as all of our questions begin to dissolve away when we see him, at the same time, all of our pretenses will dissolve away as well. And biblically, it's not true to say that we don't sin. Over in 1 John chapter 1, uh, verse 8, it says, If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves. The truth is not in us. So, you know, I don't know that I'd recommend doing it because it might start a fight. But if anybody ever tells you that they don't sin, you just say, you liar. Because actually, verse 10 makes it even worse. If we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar. And his word has no place in our lives. So, you know, if the choice is you're a liar or God's a liar, (laughs) guess which one I'm going to vote for? And of course, the beauty is in verse 9, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just and will forgive us our sins, will purify us from from all unrighteousness. See, the closer, a holy life, uh, I I think Wayne wrote this song. My favorite line I think he ever wrote is, a holy life is fashioned through repentance and forgiveness. A holy life isn't fashioned necessarily through, I'm not going to touch that. No. Now, look, understand what I'm saying. I'm not saying that, therefore, just get down and roll in the mud. Now, if God tells you to roll in the mud, roll, you know, then he's got a reason for it. Then go to Frankfurt, you know. But, but I'm, not, I'm not saying that we make, deliberately make bad choices. We make good choices based on his word for two reasons. One, because we love him and want to advance his kingdom and reflect his glory in the world. That's the most important one. Secondly, because we want our lives to be better. And if we obey what he tells us to do, life works a whole lot better than when we disregard what he says to do. But neither one of those reasons have anything to do with me earning holy points. We can earn them before man, but we can't earn them before God. And so a holy life is fashioned through repentance and forgiveness because no matter how the day went, you can come to the end of the day and you can find something that, oh, okay, yeah, I I missed that one, didn't I? And I'm not saying that from a guilty standpoint. No, no, no. It's a, it's a freeing standpoint. It's a freedom standpoint. And you realize that, that he's, that he's the, the more you're able to see it, the closer you've gotten to him. Because the more light you're in, the more clearly you see what's going on. The ones who don't see any sin in their lives are walking in the dark. And when Isaiah got revealed to the very presence of God, ah, woe is me. And that's exactly what would happen to any of us. Revealed to the presence of God, save for the blood of Jesus Christ. But a touch from God brings the cleansing. And God's always ready for that touch. One of the seraphs took a coal from the altar and brought it and touched Isaiah's lips and said, now you're clean. Is that how it works? That's how it works. A touch from God 
Changes everything. Makes you clean. And then he hears the Lord saying, Who will go for us? Who can I send? And you know what Isaiah said. It's, it's, it's a great resounding response. Here am I. Send me. And we would and we read this chapter or we hear sermons on this and we would love to see ourselves in Isaiah's position, standing before the Lord going, here am I, send me. But I think that really we need to pay attention to the message that the Lord gave Isaiah to bring because I think it all too often applies to us. Here am I, send me. The Lord said, go and tell this people, be ever hearing, but never understanding. Be ever seeing, but never perceiving. Make the heart of this people callous. Make their ears dull and close their eyes. Otherwise they might see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their hearts and turn and be healed. Go, what, what's up with that? He's telling Isaiah to make people dull and unperceiving? No. He's telling Isaiah to reveal to people the fact that they are dull and unreceiving. That they hear the word of the Lord and 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 don't do the word of the Lord. That they see and they see and they see and they see and they don't understand what they're seeing. How many times have we sat under the word? Me, me too. How many times have we sat under the word of the Lord and clearly the Holy Spirit has spoken to us? Clearly the Lord has said something. How many times have we walked down the street and clearly the Lord has given us direction. And we've gone, oh, nice. And just walked away. How many times have we seen God move in situations and just kind of felt like, oh, isn't that lucky? <laughs> it's a good thing that happened. If we break through that, if we get past that, then there's something here about if we could see with our eyes and hear with our ears and understand with our hearts, then we'd be able to turn and be healed. How often we stand in the very presence of God. How often we stand so near the place where that throne is. And yet we won't turn. And be healed. Would you stand with me? Those who are going to minister and pray with people today, come forward.
We will glorify the King of kings. We will glorify the Lamb. We will glorify the Lord of lords, who is the great I Am. Lord Jehovah reigns in majesty. We will bow before His throne. We will worship Him in righteousness. We will worship Him alone. Hallelujah to the King of Kings. Hallelujah to. 